Amen. It is so good to be with you guys, to hear your voices, to be in the Lord's presence with you. I'm so thankful that you're here. And I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. Um, as you guys know, we are walking our way through this letter that is in the very back of our New Testaments. It's a letter that is focused on, on this idea of maturity, of what does it mean to grow up um, in the faith. The book of James is, is asking us this question consistently again and again and again. The question is, in essence, you know, how is this faith of ours supposed to come alive, say, tomorrow and the next day in the actual lived experiences of our life? And tonight we are making our way um, to the, very, the second part, the, the end of chapter 3. So as has been our custom, we'll read from James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. That'll be your sermon text. But we want to pair this with a reading from the Old Testament, in particular from Proverbs chapter 8. I'm also going to read briefly from Proverbs chapter 9. So would you listen carefully to these words um, from God's word to us and for us tonight? Listen to what the Proverbs say. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Besides the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal she cries out, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Proverbs chapter nine says, wisdom calls, whoever simple, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Then from James chapter three, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace 
by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask that in this moment you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would shine light on these words that are in your word. Lord, especially tonight that you would shine light on dark places, Lord, in our hearts. Lord, and would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and our souls and our lives. Lord, and use them, we pray, to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So in the fall of 2004, okay, which I think that's coming up on 18 years ago, um, some nice people at a church far from here gave me a job. So I have been in pastoral work in some shape or form for roughly 18 years. I've been here at Grace Fellowship in a pastoral role for five, which means that I have had an endless amount of conversations across a table over coffee or lunch, or I sit in my chair and they sit on my couch or metaphorically wherever else, right? And in all of those years and in all of those coffee meetings or lunches or conversations, I have found myself saying nine words. I mean, these are almost the most frequent nine words I've found myself saying over the course of 18 years. And here they are. You know that's not what Christians really believe, right? Or sometimes it takes the form like this. You know that's not how Christians really live, don't you, right? (laughs) I think that was 11. And that is what this passage, I think, is about. According to this text, there is a certain wisdom and there's a certain way of understanding the world. There's a certain framework that we bring to our lives as we live them. The problem is, and it's a major problem, it's not wisdom or understanding or the framework that comes from God. Instead, almost accidentally, we adopt, it's almost like we breathe in and live, almost like we're following, being directed by a script that comes actually from what James will call the wisdom of the world rather than the wisdom that comes from God. And according to this text, the fact that we do this absolutely poisons our attitudes, our relationships, frankly, our lives. 
You guys remember we got into James 3 last week and that text was really a call to repentance about our words. And tonight on the second half of James 3, tonight we have a call to repentance with regard to the attitudes of our hearts. In other words, for James, it's not enough to just bite our tongues. Although according to James, that's really important. It's not enough to just bite our tongues. There's things that go deeper down into the deep places of our hearts. In this passage, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, this is what I want you to hear. This passage is an invitation to repentance. And therefore, it's an invitation to a richer, better way of living than the way the world would want to beckon us. So this text is a call to repentance with regard to our attitudes, which means it's an invitation to a better way of living. Now this call to repentance, you heard me read it, takes the form of a comparison and a contrast between two kinds of wisdom, a wisdom from above and the world's wisdom. And so what I want to do in our time together, I want to talk about wisdom. I want to define wisdom. That's the first thing I'm going to do in this sermon. Okay, if I was taking notes on the sermon, I would write wisdom defined, and then I would skip a little space. And then the second thing I would write would be the world's wisdom, and I'd skip a little space. And then the third thing I would write would be wisdom from above, and I'd skip a little space. And then at the end, I would write Jesus, because that's how this sermon is going to go, Okay. So first of all, let's talk about wisdom as it is defined, not just in the book of James, not just in the New Testament, but in the whole of scripture. Look with me in verse 13. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James begins with a rhetorical question. Who is wise in understanding among you? If you really want to know who's wise in understanding among you or us, James says, look for good conduct that shows up in what he calls the meekness of wisdom. What does James mean? Well, first of all, the first thing we have to know to define wisdom is that this phrase, the meekness of wisdom, would have been a very bizarre phrase in the ancient world, the world into which James writes. See, in the world of James's day, wisdom was not understood to be something that had anything whatsoever to do with meekness. See, in the world of James's day, um, there were these intellectual rock star public debater kind of people who would show up in places and have their hot take on every issue. They would debate and win arguments with people. They would take a lot of pride in kind of dunking on people intellectually. And these people were like celebrities. And James is saying, if I can put it in like a, where I came, where I grew up kind of phrase, that ain't it. 
And I want to say something really quickly here to apply this to your heart. There might be some people in this room tonight that you don't necessarily feel like you're as intellectually sharp as everybody else. And therefore, you could be tempted to think that somehow the life of a maturing faith is not for you. And that is completely wrong. Because James is going to tell us true wisdom is something much, 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 much different. So what is it? Who is wise and understanding among you? Now this phrase, wise and understanding, wise and understanding, this is a phrase that occurs a few times in Scripture. And this idea of wise and understanding, it paints this picture of what the Bible means when it talks about wisdom. And what the Bible means when it talks about wisdom is the ability to think and to understand with our minds. That's an important part of the life of faith. But it's the ability to think and understand something with our minds that sinks its way down into our heart's affections that then turns its way toward how we actually live with skillfulness. In other words, wisdom as the New Testament understands it has to do with the intersection between theory and practice. But there's this third ingredient. It's the, it's the heart that gets moved at the same time. Wisdom as the New Testament understands it is the ability to understand, to have your heart move toward that thing and then to then walk in obedience with great skill. It's a really rich concept. And according to James, this kind of wisdom, you'll always know it when you see it because it will be marked with meekness. Now, what does meekness mean? Well, in this context and in other places in the New Testament, meekness has to do with responsiveness, with teachability, with the ability to be eager to learn, eager to listen, eager actually to be corrected when necessary. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been around a person who somehow magically just already knows everything? Just already know. You don't have to tell them because they already know. Isn't it so frustrating to be around that person? You can shake your heads. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been that person? Are you that person? Like, what if you thought about this all week long and you realized you are that person? I'm not asking for a friend, I'm asking for me. So when the scriptures talk about wisdom, it's talking about some intersection of what we understand and 
what we feel and how we live with skillfulness. And you'll always know it when you see it because it will look like humility, teachability, ready to learn, desiring to be corrected. Now secondly, let's look at the world's wisdom. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. James is saying, don't kid yourself. Don't lie. Don't pretend it's not true of you if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. So let's, in this second part, get our minds around what does James mean when he uses these phrases, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Okay, this word bitter jealousy, some of your translations might say something like bitter envy. Um, It has to do with this, this kind of fired up eagerness, but not for a good thing. You're fired up and you're eager, but this fired up and eagerness, this passion, this spark inside of you is not directed toward things that are godly and wise, but instead they're directed toward feelings of jealousy toward other people, particularly within the community of faith. Seeing what another person has and being so irritated because they have that. And even darker, not just seeing what they have and being so irritated because they have it, but seeing what they have, being so irritated because they have it, and at the same time wishing somehow they didn't have it. Do you see how that's one step darker? Second thing, selfish ambition. This phrase that James uses, selfish ambition, quite frankly, comes from the world of politics at the, in this day. And I'm gonna explain something that might be hard for you to imagine. Like, it's gonna be so hard for you to imagine. Like, you might have a hard time imagining this thing I'm about to tell you, okay? So just try. But in the world of James's day, rival political groups would compete with one another so aggressively and with such hostility, always trying to sort of outdo the other one where they completely lost sight of what their calling was to kind of promote the good of the society. They forgot all of that because they were too busy fighting and competing amongst each other. So hard to imagine, isn't it? I'm trying to make a joke here. What James is saying is that kind of attitude that you see out there in the world, James is saying we're beginning to see it in the church. Bitter jealousy and this selfish ambition is beginning to creep into the church. Okay, this bitter jealousy the selfish ambition, let me ask you a question. Are you this person? Well, James wants wants to make it clear, 
where this kind of attitude of the heart comes from. Look with me at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Y'all, there are places in the scriptures that are very hard to understand and mysterious. And then there are places in scriptures that speak with such clarity, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. In other words, when we allow attitudes of this bitter jealousy, this rivalry and selfish ambition to become rooted in our hearts, in that moment, we are participating in something that James calls earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What does he mean? Well, the first thing you have to know is that these three things, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, this is kind of like the trifecta. Okay, this is the classic way that Christians throughout the centuries have understood evil. Okay, evil has three parts that destroy our souls. First of all, what James says is earthly. What James means here is the idea of worldly. Okay, a face of evil is the world, the pressure that we feel from the world. It's why you wake up in the morning of, before, you even, before your feet even hit the floor, you start stressing out over all the pressures that you feel. Do you know what I'm saying? Unspiritual. What James means here is that it's not guided by God's spirit. In other words, it's fleshly. You and I wake up in the morning with a certain default mode about how we're going to act and respond. And without being guided by God's spirit, that is a fleshly response. It'll lead to destruction. That's the second face of evil, the fleshliness. And then the third, James just calls it demonic. Okay, this is the supernatural powers and principalities that make war against our souls, that seek to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil who roars about like, who moves about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Y'all remember last week I talked about just like God has ends, he has means. What we see this week, again, is just like Satan has ends to steal, kill, and destroy, he has means. And his means often are the attitudes of our hearts. Look at verse 16. For jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Y'all, sometimes when we imagine a vile practice in the life of a church, we tend to imagine certain categories of sin, don't we? Like, like, like some kind of gross sexual sin that would occur in the life of a church. Sometimes we tend to imagine something really bad, like someone stealing a bunch of money from the church. But what James is saying here is that when you and I, inside of our hearts, harbor a bitter jealousy and a selfish ambition, we are cracking the door to evil in the life of our body that can then swoop in and bring about every vile practice. Our attitudes toward one another, when they're rooted in jealousy and in selfish ambition, we're cracking the door to evil. 
It's as heavy and sobering, is it not? So we defined wisdom. We talked about the wisdom of the world. But remember, tonight is an invitation to repentance. So in other words, there's a better way. And this better way, James calls, listen, wisdom from above. Doesn't that just sound beautiful? Wisdom from above. I know I want wisdom from above in my life. And look how James describes it, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good for its impartial and sincere. Do you see how already you can tell it's better? There's even more. There's even more. We got bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, but on this side, on the wisdom from above, man, we've got pureness. We've got peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's pure. In the New Testament, pure has to do with something being undiluted and unmixed. You and I, by nature, we have mixed motives. What James is saying is there is a kind of wisdom that can help you become unmixed. It's peaceable. In other words, it strives to make peace and reconciliation. Third, it's gentle. Gentleness in the Bible, gentleness in the New Testament has to do with being so strong. You're so strong that you can use your strength to serve and love somebody else. It's open to reason. The wisdom that comes from above is open to reason. In other words, the wisdom that comes from above, somebody could tell you something and you can sit there and listen to it and think, hmm, I think you're right. I haven't thought about that. I'll consider that. Can you imagine? It's full of mercy. In other words, it loves others with the same kind of love that the Lord loves you with. Would you want to be known as a person who is full of mercy? It's full of good fruits. Maybe a way to think about this is that the attitudes of our hearts become the kind of thing that tastes good to other people. It's impartial. Remember what John preached a few weeks ago. It's not looking to use people. It's sincere. And look at the promise in verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness. A harvest of good things. A harvest of good, right things. Peace. Those who make peace get a harvest of 
great, good, righteous things. I have a question for you. Doesn't everything I just described about this wisdom from above, doesn't it sound like everything you want in the deepest parts of your soul? Like, don't you, at the end of the day, want peace down in there somewhere? Peace in the scriptures is this idea of subtleness and security. Isn't that what you're looking for all day long? And what James wants us to know, and what I want you to know tonight, is all of that beauty that comes with wisdom from above, you can absolutely 100% have it. It's available to you. There's a 100% there's a 100% effective way of getting all of that. And in the case of tonight, that way of getting there is to repent. If you guys remember the little visual I gave you last week of it's like repentance, a good way to think about repentance is this. We're going 75 miles an hour down the interstate toward destruction. And we have an opportunity right here to get off the ramp and to go across the interstate to get back on the ramp going the other way. That's repentance. And I have to tell you the truth to tell you that as you get off the bitter, jealous, selfish ambition exit, to go across the interstate to get back on the repentance track going that way, I have to tell you the truth, the forces of hell will absolutely oppose that turn every step of the way. And let me remind you, repentance with regard to our attitudes is not feeling ashamed because you've screwed so many things up. Remember, that's shame. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ has borne our shame. Repentance with regard to our attitudes does not mean just feeling annoyed at the consequences of our attitudes. That's regret but it's not repentance. Repentance with regard to our attitudes is not simply sucking it up and trying to do so much better. That's trying to do something on, in your own strength. But repentance means turning and moving toward Christ. And I just wanna remind you of a few things as we prepare to celebrate at this table. First of all, I want to remind you, you heard me read it from the Proverbs. Wisdom is actually calling us, saying, come on, come in. There's a banquet for you to eat from, come. And let me remind you a second thing. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God in his person. He's the fullness of God's wisdom. And notice, when you read the gospel stories, notice Jesus walking in wisdom. First of all, we see that he doesn't take the bait and fall victim to the temptation of the devil's strategies. The devil essentially comes to Jesus and says to him, hey, instead of doing the wisdom from above thing, why don't you do the wisdom I have? And Jesus says, no. 
And notice from that point forward, see the way that Jesus interacts with others. Jesus deals gently with others. And a quick word that should be of great hope to you tonight. Jesus deals particularly gently with sinners who know of their foolishness. Which is a way of saying he deals particularly gentle with you and me. And the scriptures teach us that the wisest thing that Jesus ever did was when he went to the cross so that he could forgive you of your foolish attitude. He could forgive you of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And you can be washed and made new. See, he's calling you to a wisdom from above, which is another way of saying he's calling you to true joy, to real life, to real peace, to rich reward. So you're invited. You're invited to turn with regard to your attitude and to taste life that's truly life. Let's pray. Lord, these things are easier to talk about from a pulpit than to live when the pressure is on tomorrow. Lord, when the fleshly impulses kick in. Lord, when the devil begins to prowl about in our lives. So God, we ask that this wisdom from above, as is so beautifully explained, that is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and sincere in this harvest of righteousness and this peace, there's promise. Let her pray that this vision of a better way could coax us to turn from evil and to turn to you. So help us in these things. And for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.